G'day, it's Phil here. Last week, we met Blessing Akpan for the second time on Game Changers and for the first time in depth. And we explored the way in which engagement with people in place through early years of primary school and secondary schooling developed in Blessing a sense of purpose, out of which the calling, the vocation emerged. I'm so excited that we get to explore the life of purpose of this remarkable young person. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our special series sponsor? Sure thing, Adriano. EDAPT provides educators with an easier, more meaningful way to check in with each student and know them on a deeper level. Find out more at edapt.education forward slash game changers. That's edapt.education forward slash game changers. Let's go. Hello, Blessing. How are you today? Are you well? Hi, Phil. I'm fine. Thank you. That's good. That's good. I hope the weather is good where it is, where you are right now in Oya. This is, um, it's very, very cold and wet where I am in Melbourne right now. So I wonder if we might pick up the conversation from last time, Blessing. We'd explored your primary and your secondary schooling years and then your work as a community volunteer in the Widows and Orphans Empowerment Organisation. We're just starting to talk about your life at university. Tell me the course that you got into and what it was like. Okay, uh, I think I wrote, so in my country, before you get into university, there's uh, exams you have to write, is Joint Admission Matriculation Board Examination called JAMB. So I wrote, uh, I think I, I, I didn't get in the first and second time, and I actually got in the third time. I think it was, it was meant to be so, because the first time I chose English and Literary Studies. The second time was to English and literary studies. I didn't get in. And then the third time I chose English education and it happened that I got in. So I think it was just, <laughs> it's just meant for me to just really, really go into education and not pure English. So I got into the university 2018. I'm right now, I'm in my 300 level studying English education. And the journey has really, really amazing, especially what I've learned so far uh, when it has to do with my education courses and then English. And, and, and you finish that course next year, is that right? Yeah, I'm finishing next year. Fantastic. So, so what we're going to explore today, I think, let's, let's talk about your life as a student. Um, and then perhaps next week when we come back, we might talk about your life beyond and all of some of, some of the other things that you're doing as well um, in and around. Why do you think it was right for you to be in English education rather than pure English. Why do you think that was the right course for you? Uh, I think English education is the right course for me because that's where my purpose is. That's where my path is. So I know some people get to study a, a course that is not related to what they want to be. But for me, my journey is, is different. So I think studying the course that I really want to go into academically is very important because I think uh, there are people who maybe at the point they get to switch, but no, I have prospects for the future after this course. So it's definitely linked in education. So there's a, there's a purpose side to it, which is really, really important, but there's also a practice side, a practical side as well too. You know, this is, a, this is about your why as much as the reality that we've all got to make a living for ourselves and, and earn our way in the world. Yes, yes. 
I just had to be in education because I needed the experience, the academic experience of it. So I've, I've had the opportunity to go for uh, teaching practice and it has really helped me. So tell me your favorite story from, from your teaching practice, from your practicum. Because there's always good stories. When you, talk to, when you talk to young teachers, there's always got great stories about their prac. So tell me, tell me a great story from your prac experience. Where were you teaching? What sort of kids? What were you trying to do? Tell me that. Okay, so I, I've got favorite stories. And one of them is that um, uh, there was a day we just wanted to learn. I taught um, upper reception. I think the kids were about two to three years between two to four years. And uh, when I went there initially, I was supposed to teach primary two older kids, but just along the line, the proprietors just said I should just go to the lower kids. And I was just like, ah, I've never taught kids as, as <laughs> So I didn't know where to start from. I was just, I, for the first two days, I was very sad because I didn't know where to start from. But then I, it was where, it was then that I realized that I have a calling in early childhood education. Because when once once I started, um, I started giving myself into my responsibilities and just making myself available, I discovered that it all came very naturally to me. I didn't really stress about it. And then uh, we had we we I in transition from theoretical learning to practical because I realized that these kids were more practical, uh, would adapt more in project based learning. So. A lot of times I will come to schools with um, a, a lot of uh, papers for craft and et cetera. The teachers will just look at me and they will just feel like surprised, like, is this girl okay? So I didn't realize that this nothing, this thing is not done in this school, you know? So I decided to use a different method and I saw it work for me. So my favorite moment was when we had to do paper plane in the class and I had to do it for over 30 kids. I was exhausted. Like <laughs> themselves, they couldn't. And I just had to do paper planes for over 30 kids in the class. And when I was done, I was just surprised about it. But it was so fun because they used it to, I used it to explain uh, the aeroplane. I used it, we used it to do a lot of things in class and it was quite exciting. And from then, onwards, uh, learning was very easy for us. Learning was very, very easy for us. And I'm grateful that I was in that particular class. <laughs> yeah, so not only did you have a call to teach, you had a call to be a real teacher. Because anybody working with kids that age, you, you're a real teacher, you know your stuff. You know, when I, so I, 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 I taught high school mostly through my career and I started as a history teacher many, many years ago. Um, and uh, I had the good fortune to be supported in my learning as a teacher uh, by um, the folk who were working at the primary school and at the kindergarten the, the, with the little baby kids. And they, they taught me how to be a teacher, um, a, a lot about it. Um, and that, they invited me one day for fruit time. And fruit time, there were these, the, the, the school was attached to a church. And so outside there was this enormous tree with these big roots hanging down. Uh, and it was a boys' school. So the little boys climbing everywhere. And what would happen is they would sit down and their teachers and they would have fruit for their morning tea. And you'd have to tell them a story along the way. And if you were no good at telling a story, they'd go scattering in every direction. 
And so you had to you had to stay on your wits and tell a story really, really well to grab their attention. Otherwise, they'd be everywhere. And I reckon, you know, for a history teacher, if you can't tell a good story and keep people's attention, you've got no hope. And the, and the biggest test of all, of course, is the little kids because they're great judges of a good story, aren't they? You get the story wrong, no, they're out of there, you know, straight away. And, and I think the greatest compliment I was ever paid in my teaching career was that I was asked back to do it again because they thought I did a good job the first time. So I felt really good about that. Um, you discover this calling, you're going in and doing prac teaching experiences, you're growing. What were your favourite subjects um, or what are your favourite subjects in your university course? What, what are the things that really excite you uh, that you're learning? Uh, one of the things that really excites me is my education courses. Mm -hmm. um, we have, like right now, I have two education courses. One is educational technology and the other one is special methods. And I see it's very practical. Like I see, I just read through it and I realized that this is the things that I've been um, implementing in my teaching journey. Yeah. And it's really, really exciting because it's not something far-fetched, you know. I'm like, I'm like applying what I learned in real life to my academics and vice versa. And then for my uh, English courses, because I think it's just like double major, English and education. Yep. For my English courses, I specifically love um, uh, discourse analysis. You know, last semester we, we had a course called discourse analysis where you, you critically analyze conversations and you get to understand the perspective people are coming from. So basically I'm a very critical being, like when I hear people say something, or people behave in a particular way, I just tend to, to just wait, just pause, and then try to think through it, try to ask myself why these people are saying this, why they are doing this. And then when people have, when I have conversation with people, I don't just do it on the surface, I just, I'm a little critical about it. I don't know if it's negative or if it's positive, but just, that's just me. This I think it's I think I think it's healthy actually. <laughs> I think it's a healthy thing to do. It's a good thing to do, you know. That that you. I mean, you ask why, you know. And I know that you've in in over the past four or five years, you, in in addition to your work in, um, you know, your your education technology work that you're doing at the moment, you've already gone and got qualifications um, on flipping learning for your classroom, creativity for all. You're a certified Microsoft innovative educator. You've done a diploma in data processing along the way. So you've really, you've really laid a platform of the basic skills of technology that help you to apply in the classroom. I'm sure that that's also part of your success in analyzing and, and critically evaluating what it is that you're doing. What's your secret for using teaching, uh, sorry, for using uh, technology in your teaching? How do, you, how do you like to incorporate it? Okay, so how I incorporate technology in teaching is, first of all, technology help people learn better, help to explore creativity and innovation. Uh, when I'm teaching, uh, whether adults or students, I use platforms that enable them to, to, that help them make their work easy. For instance, when I was teaching uh, teachers, I showed them that you can organize your tests and exams online, mark it online, and then deliver it online. That you can use Google Doc, uh, sorry, Google Forms to do that. And then when I'm teaching kids, I'm giving assessments, and I could help them uh, explore creativity by uh, using tools such as um, 
Adobe Video to do storytelling. And then uh, I could use Edloss to give uh, an extensive ass assessment, giving them videos to watch. So those tools I've used in the past just enable students to get a hang of digital learning. And also I'm a scratch programmer. I teach kids how to code. So that's another way I, I infuse technology into my teaching, not just the normal way, but just the way kids will learn better. Yeah, so there's a lot about um, um, empowerment there, isn't there? There's a lot about creativity. There's a lot about um, enabling. And, you, and you're interested in, in the science and the technologies as much as you are in the literature. So again, there's a lovely blend of the sort of the, the theoretical and the practical um, in your whole approach. Is it typical for someone who's still a student in education to be teaching other teachers? Well, it's, it, I don't think it is. I've not seen a lot of people doing it, but I think it just took guts for me to, it took a lot of guts before I could go in that path because I've taught certified teachers teachers who are way higher than me, who are actually teaching in actually government employed, you know, standing in front of people who, who have had lots of teaching experience more than you. So I, I don't think it's, it's, I've not seen a lot of people do it, but I think it's just took guts for me to do that. But you just need to do it, don't you? So you do it. That's the thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, and again, that's that calling thing. That's that vocation thing all the way through you just you know you just you, that that feeling that you have to make a certain thing happen and 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 stretch yourself um uh along the way can you tell me something that happened while you were doing a teaching prac one of your practice teaching sessions um that didn't go the way you wanted it to and 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 and, and what you did to fix the situation when i arrived there was a student like there was a pupil who had difficulty in learning. So I don't know, but it's, it's, the girl wasn't just following. So you do all you can. Sometimes it's it's very hard for, the child is like seven years old. So he couldn't just write a letter by himself. So we try all we can. The teacher, I, I had to approach the teacher and just, I just had to just learn about this, this boy's story. And she said that it's just been like that since the, girl was five in school and he, he the parents wouldn't do anything about it and uh, I, I took I was very concerned about him and then I asked the teacher if I could be of help and uh, the teacher said I couldn't do anything about it because she has tried everything possible everything possible and then uh, I, I wanted to help the child like maybe extracurricular classes if that would work but then I was I was taken out of the class and I felt really bad. So I couldn't reach out to the kid again. I couldn't reach out. But what I did was I um during break times, I usually go to the class to, to show the kid around one or two things. It was very difficult, and then uh it didn't go well with the teachers I was teaching with at that time because they felt like I was neglecting my duty. You know, other times, especially when the kids, the younger kids really needed me during break time where I have to uh, help them set the lunch for their kids. And then after that, I'll have to pack the chairs, the tables, and then sweep the ground and then mop sometimes. 
but I it was very difficult for me and I uh, I wouldn't say I was able to 100% help the kid because of the way things was but I think to a certain extent I was ready to that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Because particularly for somebody like you, who's such a can-do person, when you come across something like that, which tells you what you can't do, how did you deal with that? How did you work your way through that? What did you learn from that? Well, I I wasn't able to totally achieve my aim because one, my my stay there was very short. So it was mm-hmm. just a three months. So I, it was very short, but mm-hmm. because I had, very good rapport with the teacher so what really helped me was the relationship i had with the teachers in the school so i had very good communication with the teacher Mm -hmm. so i just had to have a communication with the teacher and then i suggested some solutions to the problem of the child and she also saw reasons to it and then uh we talked a lot and said she's going to suggest same to the parents uh because i think i've read about um students like that although since I've, I've been I've been teaching online a lot and I've not really come across a kid like that and she said she was going to talk to the teacher sorry to the sure. parents and to see if um, they would uh, do something maybe hire a, a teacher at home for her so that she would be able to cope with uh, schoolwork and not be left behind so basically what I did was just speak with a teacher and then um, get to recommend some things to be done so so what i'm taking from that is is learning to build rapport learning to build relationship learning to try lots and lots of different things if you came across that situation again if you went into a school tomorrow and came across that situation again what would you do differently if i'm teaching the child i will be a personal personal teacher to that child and try as much as i can to be patient with that child and then if I can approach the parents to let them know that uh, there are certain kids that needs really personalized learning. So in this case, this child needed personal, more personalized learning to a point that he or she is able to cope. And then we also need um, expert advice. Expert advice to a kid who at the age of seven cannot write uh, the letter A on our own. There's actually there's actually something wrong and needs expert advice. There it is. There it is. So you've, um, there's, a, there's a lot you've learned already, really. There's a lot you've learned already. You've done some work in technology and learning with digital storytelling. Why is it important for children to learn to tell a story? Generally, students, uh, sorry, learners are very imaginative beings, like generalists. Children really are really imaginative. They like seeing, or they see a lot of, of, of movies, especially cartoons, and they imagine stories and all of that. So they tend to create a lot of stories in their head. So giving them an avenue where they could express themselves is very important. Some kids may not be able to write them down because maybe they are not good with um, grammar or, or might my, my be having issues with coordinating the plot but telling them okay this is another way you can just put out your 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 thoughts and then uh, uh, kids experience a lot maybe when they travel and they just want to share it so it's very it's very it could be very beautiful when you tell them oh you can actually express your thoughts in pictures you can express your thoughts in videos you can share your ideas in videos and pictures 
it's very amazing. So storytelling is very important because it helps uh, children get, uh, how do you call it, put their stories together. It helps children be able to recount their journey. It helps children be able to keep track of where they were and where they are and where they will be in the future. Okay, so, good answer. Good answer. I wish I could have given answers like that when I was at your age and at, that, 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 at your stage of my career. You know your stuff, Blessing. So I'm going, to, I'm going to jump to the next level of question. You've done some work also around uh, understanding and building a new model for the future of learning. So what is your model of learning? What is your model for the future of learning? Okay, my own future of learning is uh, personalized and is skill-based. I say personalized because um, students need to be treated as, as individual beings. They have uh, diverse skills. They have diverse interests. So they have to be treated as, as individual beings. That is only when you can explore their talent. That is only when they can really be who they should be. And then skill-based, in, in the other way, which is skill-based is it, learning should be able to infuse skills to be able to help students acquire certain skills. What are those about, skills? What are those skills? Blessing, what, the, what skills do students really need to thrive in their world? They need critical thinking. They need collaboration skills. They need the team spirit and they need communication. And then when it comes to the workforce, they need to learn the digital skills and if it's vocational good. So learning should be skill-based and should also be personalized. I think that's what I believe the uh, future of learning should be. There we go. So do you want to give me an example of a time you've been able to do work with students that was both personalized and skill-based? In January last year, when we started our project, uh, the Innovative Child Network, we visited a school, uh, a primary school, a government primary school, and we had to do lots of, of things. We had to do a lot of activities. And it was a bit difficult because we the resources wasn't really available. So we taught the kids photography, scratch programming, writing, public speaking. And uh, it was personalized because um, although I wasn't, I was just there coordinating, but our, our mentors made sure that they first of all understood every child and what their interests are. So we didn't just call all of them and just tell them, okay, all of you learn scratch programming or all of you learn public speaking, or all of you learn photography. We allow them tell us what their interests are. So what we did first of all was introduce all the, 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 the areas, different skill areas to them. And then, then they just decide this is where I want to be, this is where I want to be. So we dealt with each other best on their interests. And then skill best, I know a lot of skills like this do not, do not take place in schools, especially primary schools. And then that's why we actually had to take it to them so that they'll be able to learn their skills. So you do not just uh, impose, first of all, you do not just impose um, things on students, you just, they, they have a choice. Yeah, they have a choice on what they want to learn and what they don't they, they, they don't have interest in at that point and that should be respected also sometimes maybe a fear might make a child 
not to choose about a, a, a particular course area. Maybe for instance, a subject for uh, mathematics, maybe the child is afraid of mathematics and you know that mathematics is very important for that child. All you have to do is talk to the child, show the child that he or she can learn mathematics and mathematics is not really hard. And what can you, that also determines on the approach you're taking to teach mathematics. So if you know that they have a child who is very, uh, who is very skeptical about math, who is scared of math, that means you have to use another method. What's the method? It's um, suggesting methods like games, things like activities that, that um, boost interest. Like currently I'm teaching a child mathematics, a child to, I I wouldn't say doesn't really like, but mathematics is not just is really really favorite. But what we try to do is using um, activities activities a lot, and we watch videos a lot. We use games a lot, so it's not just the boring theoretical. Come to the board every time you're just writing four times two. What is this? No, you just give them. You just transform it into an enjoyable process. I think that is making learning personalized. I think um, I'd love to be in your classroom. <laughs> and you know what? Not only that, I'd love to be in your classroom 20 years from now because if you know all of this sort of stuff now, you're going to be doing remarkable stuff in your future. I know that our listeners right now are, are, are really enjoying your story um, and, and uh, the insight into the mind and heart of an outstanding student and teacher. Um, there's a whole lot more to your story, though. You've had a role with Lead Women Will. You've been a Learner's Voice Fellow at the World Innovation Summit for Education. I am Remarkable Facilitator, a student mentor at the Technovation Challenge. You've been part of the Telemarkus Youth Global Thinkers Forum, uh, the Global Youth Ambassador uh, for Their World. Um, you're, you're an ambassador for 100 Org and a curator of the Global Shapers community. Um, and then, of course, there's the Innovative Child Network, which is your own startup at the same time. And do you know what? I reckon we should come back next time and talk about all of that. Would you like to do that? Yes, definitely, I will. Excellent. Well, we'll see you then. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.